This is Policy Talks, brought to you each month by Williamson, Inc., our local chamber of commerce. And we uh, appreciate all of you joining us this morning, uh, particularly our audience on uh, WCTV and on WAKM AM 950. We uh, enjoy having our uh, virtual audience with us this morning and uh, look forward to having a great discussion with our panelists this morning. Uh, one of our panelists has, thank you, Brandon, we keep you muted. You've got an audio issue. We'll uh, circle back to you here in just a minute. Our uh, panelists this morning are our Williamson County Legislative Delegation from the state legislature, Senator Jack Johnson, our Senate Majority Leader, uh, Representative Glenn Cassidy, representing the uh, 63rd District, uh, Representative Sam Woodson from the 65th District and Representative Brandon Ogles from the 61st. And that is in order of seniority, gentlemen, uh, not uh, uh, putting anybody ahead of anybody else, but uh, just uh, start off this morning uh, congratulating Tom Lawrence. He received a very prestigious award this week from uh, Leadership Franklin, and I want to congratulate Tom. He's uh, been awfully good to this program and uh, and to me personally over the years. And this uh, Carolyn Cross Award is for leadership. I'm going to read this that motivates and inspires other individuals, along with traits of creativity, character, dedication, and community service. I can't imagine anyone that deserves that uh, award more than Tom Lawrence. And Tom, we just want to say congratulations. And we want to second that, uh, that motion. So uh, he's uh, out there uh, virtually somewhere, and uh, we, we want to pass that along. Gentlemen, it's been a volatile year in many ways. Uh, we got off kind of to a somewhat normal start this year. Uh, typical legislative issues, uh, the legislative uh, back and forth. And then uh, in February and early March, things took a a curve and the coronavirus sent the world into a tailspin. We've got a wave now of racial uh, protests going on that uh, kind of raise a lot of uncertainty in our world about uh, not only the proper way to respond, but um, you know, how does that affect us? Uh, and then as if to uh, kind of go along with the the, uh, the volatile theme of the year, uh, last Friday night, you all had a fairly contentious session that lasted till 3 a.m. Saturday morning. So uh, it uh, has been an interesting year, I know, for you all uh, in almost every uh, way it could possibly be. Uh, the Friday night session was a kind of a standoff between the Senate and the House, as I understand it. Jack, if you would, kind of give us the Senate side of the ver version of uh, what happened. And then I'll circle back and let our uh, representatives uh, respond. But uh, tell us uh, tell us what happened. You had a couple of very significant uh, bills that uh, you were unable to reach consensus on. And uh, uh, just how can that happen? Sure, Dave, good morning. And uh, before I uh, jump into that, let me echo the, the thoughts and sentiments you expressed about Tom Lawrence. Uh, he's certainly a, a jewel of this community and, uh, and the crown of this community. And we, we uh, certainly celebrate his receiving that award. It's very, very well deserved. Uh, he's interviewed me a number of times, always throws me a curveball, uh, as is uh, pretty common for him. So congratulations, Tom, very well deserved. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> Dave, you, you put it very well. What a strange year we've had in 2020. And I think we'll all be glad to get it behind us and, and move on. And, uh, and hopefully next year will be better. Uh, the two uh, bills you're, you're referring to, you're right. And this is fairly normal in our legislative process. I think my, my, my house colleagues would, would agree. Uh, it's kind of like life. You know, the, the difficult items sometimes get kicked to the end, <laughs> they get uh, procrastinated. Are you, we pro procrastinate on, not, not procrastinate sometimes, they just take more work. And so sometimes the, the, the really complicated, more difficult issues sometimes get pushed to the end. That was the case on, on the two you mentioned. 
we, we want and we need, and I think we will ultimately pass some type of liability protection for, uh, for everyone in our state relative to COVID-19. Uh, it, that includes the private sector businesses. Uh, the businesses want to open. We want them to open. We want people to go out, but the businesses are afraid someone might accuse them of, of uh, doing something that causes a customer to catch COVID-19. This applies to churches, hospitals, schools, uh, local governments. Uh, there's pretty broad consensus that we need some type of liability protection. This is not to protect bad actors. If someone is flagrantly in violation of gui <clears throat> CDC guidelines and that what we refer to as the Tennessee Pledge here in Tennessee that lays out what you need to do to protect your employees and protect customers. You know, if you're in flagrant violation of that, you should be sued and, and we're not gonna do anything about that. But if you're making every effort to be substantially compliant with the guidelines, then you should be protected from frivolous lawsuits. So uh, that that was one bill that we got uh, that we were unable to pass right there at the 11th hour and kind of a, an unrelated, but in our process, it ended up being a companion type bill relative to telemedicine and the ability for, for doctors to be able to treat patients like this uh, in many instances. And that's an important bill because, you know, uh, if you are sick or if you have COVID-19, we don't want you going to the doctor's office and sitting in a waiting room. If, if you can, if you can consult with your doctor like this, and so those were two bills that, um, that we weren't able to get across the finish line, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not going to blame the House uh, or the Senate. We just had a, a difference of opinion, specifically on the liability about retroactivity, about when it should go back. The, the Senate felt very strongly that it should go back to March 5th, which is when effectively, you know, we got the first case of COVID-19 in the state of Tennessee. Um, and and uh, the, the house was, was less comfortable with, with that uh, degree of retroactivity. So that's where we ended up. A good possibility we may be get called back into special session to, uh, to uh, take up those two issues again. And I, I can't tell you that will happen, but there are conversations about that. Okay. Brandon Ogles, you uh, I think are on the record as uh, voting against uh, a couple of those uh, bills that uh, that Jack mentioned the uh, coronavirus liability, the telemedicine. Um, tell us your side of the story. Tell us what the House's uh, concerns were and, and why you couldn't reach agreement with the Senate. Well, Jack did a great job explaining it, but the, the, the pivot point for the House was really the retroactivity especially at the date at which it was implemented. You know, there was, there was some talk in the House about maybe a, a 1st of April, April 2nd, when some guidelines were put in place, that being acceptable. But the, the House is really concerned that it, uh, there's a statute in the Tennessee Constitution that talks about we shall not implement retroactive laws. And the state constitution is really the guardrails for which we draft laws up here. And there's really a fear if, if we start messing with that and we start drafting laws that the lawyers tell us are blatantly unconstitutional, that this, this will just have a ripple effect. Uh, I don't think anybody in the House that voted against that bill thought that that bill would die on the floor at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. Uh, we really thought it was going to go back to conference. They were going to work out some of these issues and then we would it would come back to the floor either the next day or earlier that morning. Uh, you know, my, my vote on the board was not to kill the bill by any means. It was simply to send it back to conference and let them work on the retroactivity to be sure that that bill was constitutional and that everybody uh, was comfortable. We had virtually every lawyer on in the House stand up and say that they had a problem with the retroactivity, how it was drafted, and that there was a real fear that it, it would not stand up uh, in the court. So that that's my vote was simply to that let them continue the process of working on the bill uh, all the time. Most of the time up here, when we send a bill back to committee or keep working on it, it's just to get it in the proper form. There was just not, there was not enough votes at that point to feel that the bill was in proper form to move on. That, that, that in no way means that those people that voted against it do not believe that we need uh this law enacted. I think everybody supports the business community and supports the fact that we need legislation. It's just getting it right and getting that power. Uh, just uh, push back a little bit here, Brandon, if you will allow me a little bit, but uh, 
And I'm not saying the Tennessean is infallible, but they reported that uh, Lambert, who I think is the uh, House, uh, is it majority leader? Uh, yes. Sir. He was okay with retroactivity back to a certain date, as long as it didn't precede the uh, the COVID cases in the nursing home there in Galton in his district. Uh, how does he rationalize being uh, constitutional to go that far back, but not to the date that the, the Senate was uh, looking at? Well, and, and, and that in lies part of the problem is there has not been a, enough work done on the legislation with the memberships to get, to get us comfortable with even a partial re retroactivity. Uh, you know, we heard that on the floor very late, uh, but, you know, there, there's still work to be done. And I don't know how you justify doing part of something that you say is unconstitutional. Um, so that's, that's part of the process that we've still got work to do. Jack, let me bounce back to you just a moment, but uh, why, why, did, why, would, why did you decide to adjourn at that point instead of coming back like this, this past week and, uh, and working out the differences? Well, um, you know, that was a, that was a call by our uh, speaker, by, by the Lieutenant Governor. And um, uh, I think he was he was frustrated that um, that the house you know didn't. I don't want to speak for our, our lieutenant governor, but um, you know I have to be very careful uh, about uh, about this. But but I, my sense is that he felt like the Senate had capitulated and agreed to some terms in the telemedicine bill that we didn't like that we were <clears throat> that we were uncomfortable with relative to, to parity and and rate setting in, in the code, which is always a very dangerous thing to do, but we agreed to do that for a limited amount of time, which is something that the House uh, uh, felt strongly about. And in exchange for that, they would agree to our terms on the on the uh, liability protection uh, bill. And this is, again, this is the way the process works. We, we, we have, we're a bicameral legislature and we can't pass a bill if the, if the, the Senate can't pass a bill, if the House doesn't pass it and vice versa. So, uh, a lot of these kind of negotiations take place always during during session. So, um, so there was some frustration. I think uh, you know nerves were a little frayed right there at at the end. And, uh, and 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 again, we didn't just decide to start working on these. And by the way, Dave, you said Friday night, Saturday morning. It was Thursday night, Friday morning. It was from three a.m. three a.m. Friday morning. But and and we we weren't going to come back on Friday because it was Juneteenth. Um, and if you spill over into Monday, you can't just come back on Monday. You'll be there till Thursday. It's just the way the process works. So I think, I think our speaker's sentiment was it's, it's time to go home. And, uh, and, and by the way, and it's been reported and it is accurate. The Lieutenant governor and I did go down while the house was debating the liability protection bill. We walked down to the governor's office and met with the governor and discussed the prospect of a possible special session. And uh, he was amenable to that. He didn't commit, um, but it, he said that that was something he would he would consider if if we wanted to maybe try to come back. Hey, Dave, if I could add to that discussion, I, I the House. To, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to come to you next. As a former speaker, you've uh, you've been in the middle of some of these kind of negotiations. What uh, what what did you see happen, and what what are your recommendations? You know, there was a it was a straight up vote on the House floor, Dave. It was it was uh, 46 House members voted to pass the Senate, uh, the Senate compromise. And, and we had 36 vote against it. So the problem was constitutionally got to have 50 votes to pass a bill. And uh, we had nine members, I think, absent because uh, it was such a late night. So the House is in agreement with the uh, with the legislation. We just lacked four votes getting it to 50. I see. Sam, any well, from your perspective? Yes. Um, you know, um, two things. Um, Glenn read a really good statement that evening that um, about the constitutionality of that before the vote, and uh, compliment you on that, Glenn. And uh, but when you, I started seeing all the lawyers opposing it. That's the first, uh, you know, sign that I knew something was up, and uh, and uh, supported it, and. and and there was a severability clause in that too, uh, if I recall correctly. And uh, and Jack explained it well. Um, 
And, and like you said, nothing really good happens after midnight. And it, people were tired and, and uh, ready to go. Uh, but Glenn's right. Uh, if I think if the other members had been there, it would have passed out of the house. Glenn, the, uh, uh, the prospects of a special session, uh, you know, look like they're getting more and more likely. What do you see uh, there? And uh, would you support a special session? And, and if so, would you support these two bills that, uh, that you failed to reach consensus? Yes, I, I supported them initially, uh, both the telehealth uh, and uh, the uh, Safe Harbor Act. Uh, they're needed. We, we've got to have both of those. They just help the progress of Tennessee, protect our businesses, uh, promote uh, the keeping of healthcare costs lower. Uh, and so special session would be relatively brief. I think we'd come in, we'd form, uh, we'd go right back to our, our uh, committees. Uh, they would report out within a day. And the next day, I feel like we would pass it straight up. So I, I hope the governor and I hope the, uh, the House and Senate leadership push for a special session. We need to pass both of these bills. Brandon, same question for you. Um, you Would you support the special session, first of all, and, and, and second of all, would you support the, uh, in particular, the chambers interested in the coronavirus um, liability protection uh, aspects of it? Yes, I, I fully support a special session, but you know, I also think if we're gonna come back and spend multiple days, we might look at other legislation it's important for Tennesseans, not just pick and choose a couple pieces. You know, when those when those committees convene, they can do a lot of work in an hour. So I, I would hate to call our members back from all across the state and incur that uh, financial burden uh, without actually getting a fair amount of work to, done. I do support the legislation. I just think that, that we need to work out the retroactivity and we need to we need um, some more help and assuring the members that it is, in fact, constitutional. And really, the problem, the problems it's going to have is going through the subcommittee. Uh, that, that subcommittee that it has to pass back through uh, had a lot of no votes on that board. So if there's not some negotiation, there's not some work, and uh, those members don't feel um, confident that this is in good form, it, it will not be a vote. It'll never make it to the floor. Which subcommittee is that? It's civil, isn't it, Brandon? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's got to go through civil first. And that, that committee, there was a lot of no's on that board. So, you know, they, they really got to make those members comfortable and get that in good form. But the, the intent of the bill is totally supported. You know, especially, you know, my business, you know, we, we fabricated uh, materials to be put in hospitals all over the Southeast. And, you know, I need that bill to pass. I, I, I particularly need that bill to pass. Uh, but it, it has to be done in a way that's uh, palatable and it's constitutional. And it, until we remove that fear, uh, it's going to have a little problems. But in the end, it, we will reach a compromise. It will pass and we'll, we'll, get, the, we'll get the protection that Tennessee companies need. Back to you, just a second, Glenn, but uh, what about the constitutionality of it, uh, Sam mentioned you made a... You know, I, I, uh, I read from uh, a setting uh, Chief Justice uh, Bill Cope that said, uh, in his opinion, and he's, uh, he serves on the Tennessee Supreme Court, that uh, if it has to do with the welfare of the state, uh, that you can pass something like what was before us on that uh, three o'clock Friday morning session. <laughs> So, yes, I, I, I have personally, I personally have no question based on a, a Supreme Court justice's opinion that we could pass that and it would pass muster. Jack, if you would uh, let's, uh, delve specifically into the coronavirus liability bill for a minute, uh, could you explain to us exactly what that bill would do and why the business community, the school systems and, and everyone are so interested in, in having that uh, bill passed? Sure. In, in a nutshell, um, what it would do, Dave, is just say that if a if a an, an entity, and it could be again a business, it could be a local government, uh, uh, a church, hospital, if if they are substantially compliant, and I believe that's the legal term, and I, I may have that wrong. I'm not a lawyer, um, but I believe that that's the the term or the concept that that that, that is used to say that if that business is substantially compliant 
with the guidelines that are used and, and recommended at that time. And think about this, you know, we have phase one, we have phase two, we have phase three. And, and, and not only do we have multiple phases, we have multiple phases in, in various times at, in different parts of the state. So the way the legislation was crafted was to say that whatever the, the guidelines are. So if you own a business in the city of Franklin or Brentwood or Nolansville um, or a church or, um, or you're running a school, you know, this applies to the Williams County school system, uh, whatever it is, if you're, if you are compliant, substantially compliant with those, with those guidelines to try to keep your, your employees and, and your customers or whoever, patronizes your business or, or attends your church or whatever, um, safe, then, then you, uh, then you're protected. Uh, you have liability protection. The concern is that obviously with COVID-19 and, and, um, and there's so many unknown variables about here, what we don't want to have, the worst thing in the world we could have for our economy right now is to have businesses and any other type of entities having to deal with nuisance lawsuits, you know, being, being sued, somebody comes down and is uh, unfortunately diagnosed with COVID and then they, they trace it back. They think that they caught it when they ate at this restaurant or they attended this church or they, you know, their, their kid caught it while they were at school. Well, you know, how do you prove that? I don't know. It'd be probably be very difficult to prove, but, uh, but we would, just rather not have those types of nuisance lawsuits out there that are costing people a lot of money and legal fees. Right. Uh, Sam, any, any color you want to add to that? Oh, um, you know, um, it, I've received numerous emails and letters and calls uh, from the business community, our nonprofits, um, uh, HOAs, and this is critical to them going forward. And, uh, and um, I just felt like it was uh we needed to do this. And, and if we do need a special session to uh, correct it, I think we can come back and do it. And it's my understanding we can only address one item, uh, what they bring us back for uh, across the General Assembly. And maybe Jack and Glenn can correct me on that. Well, it, it could be more than one item, but it can it, it does have to be specifically articulated in the governor's call for the special session. Right. So it could be more than one item. The governor could say, I call the General Assembly back to deal with this and this right and uh but but you can't take up anything outside of that call that's my point yeah yeah exactly glenn uh this is important to your district as well anything in particular about that bill that uh, resonates with your district just the protection i i don't want to beat a dead horse uh, jack and sam and brandon have articulated it well brandon being a businessman articulated it well but we've in, in this time, uh, the courts have gotten very aggressive going after our business community. We need to protect the business community and our churches and our nonprofits. Uh, and, and that's why, why we need this. The telemedicine bill, uh, honestly, hadn't been a whole lot in the media about that. Uh, tell us, uh, I'll start with you again, Jack. Uh, tell us what that involves and, uh, and the importance of it. Yeah, and it is confusing because um, uh, uh, it is taking place right now and, and via uh, an executive order from the governor. The governor has obviously issued a number of executive orders in, during this COVID outbreak. And one of those, or uh, several of those have dealt with, with telemedicine. <clears throat> so there, you, there, there are regulatory uh, issues with, with, with telemedicine. Uh, and, and I think most everyone, again, I touched on this earlier, agrees that, that a doctor uh, should be able to consult with a patient uh, via this technology we're using right now. Uh, there, there are many things that a, that a doctor and patient can do uh, together uh, via uh, using technology like this. Some things can't. Sometimes the doctor needs to, to touch you and lay hands on you to, to appropriately diagnose you. But, but doctors know when and when they can and when they can't do it. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, not to get too far into the weeds, but uh, under existing law, you, you, you could do it if, if you were at another doctor's office. So for, let's say, for example, uh, you live in uh, Perry County and, and you're, you're at your uh, primary care physician's office and you, you need to consult with a, a specialist in Nashville. Uh, you could do that from one doctor's office to another doctor's office. 
but you couldn't do it from your home uh, directly to your primary care physician. That's one example of a regulatory barrier that, that, that we want to remove. We want to allow physicians to be able to do this. Where we got where we get a little, uh, where we end up with some disagreement is with regards to reimbursement rates. Um, we, I believe that a doctor, a physician should be reimbursed at the, at the same rate as if they are in your office that, and, and Blue Cross Blue Shield, by the way, who is the, the largest carrier, I think they cover about 60% of Tennesseans. They are reimbursing at parity. Uh, the house version of the bill, was going to require and mandate parity in terms of reimbursement rates uh, among all insurance companies. Uh, the Senate had some heartburn about that. Not that we don't want physicians to be reimbursed at that rate, we do. The, diff the, the question is though, should we be stipulating that in the code? Because that is typically a contractual arrangement between a provider and the payer. And I just think it's a very slippery slope if we start dictating reimbursement rates in the code. And I've told my friends who are in the medical community this, who have argued with me that we should have it in the code. You don't want 132 knotheads who serve in the General Assembly deciding what you get paid for your services. Trust me, you, let's don't start going down that path. That's not going to end well for you. Uh, it should be a, a market-driven um, contractual arrangement as it is now. That was the difference. The Senate agreed to put parity in. Uh, it was a compromise for 18 months, meaning that as telemedicine evolves and does become more prevalent in healthcare delivery, that we would go ahead and require parity. And when I say parity, means the doctor gets reimbursed by the insurance company at the same rate as an office visit. And we're, we were going to require that for 18 months, and then it would come out. That was the compromise. The Senate wanted no parity in there at all. The House wanted permanent parity. We agreed to 18 months, and uh, and and again, that bill did not not pass either. Um, and it, it could be something that we take up in, in special session, uh, in addition to the liability bill. Any of our House members have any uh, contrasting opinions on that? I'll just chime in. Oh, go ahead. I'll just chime in, and I really appreciate what the uh, the conference committee came up with, which was the 18 months. Because I do believe that until you prime the pump, until you get the insurance companies engaged, they're, they're just going to resist any change. Uh, but Jack makes a very good point. It was my concern as well, is that having something like that in code has long-term consequences. So I really appreciate, Jack, what y'all came up with in the, uh, in the conference committee. Sam? Yeah, I was just going to tell the listeners that they have not used telemedicine. It really works well. In fact, I did it my annual uh, checkup with my uh, doctor and then uh, followed up with just uh, going by the clinic and getting some blood work. So it is a emerging technology that will really help our rural health uh, providers out there and our citizens. Brandon, any comment there? No, I, I think everybody did a good job. I think it's a, it's an evolving market. It's definitely uh, something that's going to happen. The, the only little bit of pushback I've heard from anybody is, is in this, are we going to lose a level of service? Uh, there is an importance of that interaction with that doctor and that face-to-face -face. as much as I like doing this on the zoom meeting. Uh, you know, I, I think you do lose a little bit of uh, a personal touch and, a, you know, I, I would hate for us to all not ever be able to sit face-to-face -face with our doctors, but it's definitely, a tool that needs to be used and going forward will it'll be great to have uh that's the that's not to say that 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 personal interaction with the doctor is not important uh and i would like to see that continue but this bill in no way takes that away so it, it will we'll get this worked out like the other ones and uh it, we'll do what's best for tennesseans i heard through the grapevine that um, the con or the um uh, remind me what that stands for. Uh, certificate of need. Certificate of need. Thank you, Sam. The uh, that that uh, there was some legislation that uh, was weaving its way uh, amongst and around all these other issues. Uh, Sam, since you uh, were so quick to remind me uh, what that stood for, if you would uh, tell us what uh, what's going on there. 
Well, I want to thank my senator. He was the one that actually said that certificate. In the end. <laughs> so, uh, but um, that is, um, you know, hospitals, and I'm going to try to explain this. I was not involved in the legislation. Jack could probably, Glenn, probably do a much better job. But uh, it, it, it could have a, a, an impact on our local uh, county hospital if it was passed. And, and uh, I think our delegation, uh, all four of us uh, had concerns about that and expressed our concerns. And, uh, and um, we just wanted to make sure any kind of change in the, how hospitals and specialty clinics were set up. Cause you know, you have those for profit and those who have to provide the services and uh, it could have a, a serious consequence on our, uh, our rural hospitals. So uh, we had concerns about that. Um, and uh, and I think we as as a group express those concerns and, and voted accordingly. Okay. Brandon, uh, excuse me, hold that uh, thought for just a minute, Brandon. Uh, Jack, on the budget, uh, you all did pass a budget and uh, slightly trimmed it back from what uh, had been approved back in uh, I guess it was March or was it when were you mm -hmm. last in session? March, I believe. The um, uh, very little difference, but uh, tell us a little bit about the differences in the budget that you ultimately passed, uh, I guess it was last Thursday night. Yeah, um, so you're right. We did pass a budget. Interesting uh, bit of trivia. It was the last time we passed two budgets in one general session of the General Assembly was 2002. Um, and so, and I guess Glenn might have been there for that, for that time, but... Uh, that was kind of as we were coming out of the income tax battles. So we did pass a budget in March. We, we did revise that budget. And, uh, and basically, we had to cut $500 million out of the current fiscal year, which will close at the end of this month here in just, uh, well, about four days. Our fiscal year will end. And we had a $500 million shortfall because of COVID um, for the current fiscal year. And then we project a billion-dollar shortfall in the coming year. And... Uh, Essentially, uh, the way we're going to uh, balance both of those fiscal years is by using one-time money to fund recurring expenses, which we don't like to do. Uh, but we have a fair amount of, uh, of a fairly sizable amount of one-time money for, with some carry forward that we had from the last fiscal year. We're going to be able to plug those holes. We also empowered the governor to take a look at all of our reserve accounts. We, we talk about a rainy day fund. Uh, which is important, and that's kind of our savings account. But every department and agency, virtually every one of them, also carries some amount of reserves uh, that they keep basically, you know, uh, in their savings accounts. So we've empowered the governor. There's about $4 billion combined in all of those reserve accounts. And so we've empowered the governor to do an analysis department by department, agency by agency to identify uh, about $600 million is what we're asking him to go pull out of those reserve accounts. You take that with the carry forward money we had from the last fiscal year, we'll be able to plug those holes. Unfortunately, we had to take out uh, teacher raises. We had to take out state employee raises, which we didn't want to do, but uh, really had no choice. And so we'll be structurally out of balance, meaning we're using non-recurring money to fund recurring expenses, and that's never a good place to be. But we do hope to, uh, by the third year out, possibly second year out, be back to a structural balance. And if we assume even just a modest growth rate from this fiscal year to next fiscal year of 2%, and then 3% the following year, we'll get back to that structural balance. So, And by the way, we'll do all of this without touching the actual rainy day fund, which will continue to have about $1.1 billion in it. So it's a bad situation. Thankfully, we were in the best fiscal shape we've ever been in coming into this. Um, and so we're going to we're going to be able to get through it and and we'll maintain our AAA credit ratings. And, uh, we, you know, oh, one other thing we did, uh, Dave, is we did uh, decide to bond some projects, a little over two hundred million dollars worth of long term capital projects that, you know, we, we've bragged on this show before about not borrowing any money and, and paying cash for everything. I think it was very prudent. It, it freed up about a little over $200 million in, 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 in cash that we need right now to bond uh, some projects. I think there were about six uh, long-term capital projects that we'll, we'll bond. We'll put those on a 20-year amortization because of our outstanding credit rating. 
the interest rate on that, you, as you know, uh, in the financial services business, that the money is virtually free right now. So it's a very, very low interest rate. And so it makes sense to, to, to do that. So a combination of all those things got us balanced and, uh, and we, we have a pathway to get back to uh, structural balance in, in two to three years. And also on the budget, uh, one of the change from March to now is how uh, the grants to cities and counties, uh, we took the strings off on that. And uh, actually, we increased uh, the amount paid to Williamson County by nearly $600,000. Uh, they'll get $2.8 million uh, from the state to use uh, as they, the local uh, government sees fit. Noticed, uh, I think the city of Franklin is going to get a couple of million. Uh, one point eight. Yeah, Brentwood and Spring Hill about a million apiece, and Nolensville and Fairview maybe a quarter of a million. How are those uh, amounts determined? Just by, popula by population. Okay, so it was on population. It, uh, I'm sure our cities and county will appreciate that extra appropriation to uh, kind of help make ends meet uh, during uh, this next year. Brandon, I do want to come back to you now. The uh, you had a rather ambitious agenda going into this, uh, this year, and uh, the uh, uh, as the the plans were being made for this last session of of, of the uh, Senate and House, the Senate made clear that uh, they only wanted to address a very limited number of bills. Uh, I know you've got a different opinion about that. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, your thoughts and, and, and why. Well, the, the leadership in the House basically told told us if, you know, if you're going to be paid to be here uh, and you want to continue your work to continue working. So, you know, all the legislation I filed, I, I went ahead and worked through the committee process. And that's simply because uh, you see things change up here so rapidly. And sometimes you think you're in good form, uh, much like our liability protection bill. Uh, and and some, sometimes you see things go off the rails and uh, people raise concerns. So, you know, I saw it as an opportunity to run my bills through committee uh, and be sure they were in good form, be sure my committee members and colleagues uh, were accepting of the legislation. And uh, some of the stuff we worked on, uh, you know, I do believe it's time urgent. So it was a it was a process to 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 see to take the work as far as possible, and you know, in hopes that maybe it made uh, a list in the Senate, and you know, there was there was not a change of heart, but you know, the the Senate the Senate was working through some their agenda, and just hoping maybe some of these would fall into the cracks and get pushed through. But you know, that's not. And not to say that that was my agenda, it's just the legislation that working in the, uh, those criminal justice subcommittees that we saw was needed for Tennessee. And so we thought it was prudent to go ahead and get those bills drafted and take them as far as possible uh, on the House side. Given the limited uh, session, were you able to get any of your legislation uh, that you were uh, most interested in through? Uh, I, I think I had one, two, three, four, five, six passed on the House floor uh, unanimously. Uh, most of those were related to uh, victims' rights, or uh, uh, one particularly uh, was uh, submission of evidence. We, we had a bill that basically cut the submission time for sexual assault crimes. Um, when, when, when those kids are taking, taken they're submitted to tbi for processing well our turnaround time right now is is almost close to a year so i think everybody's in agreement that that's that's way too long it it it, it impedes the justice process so we're trying to get the that evidence to tbi submitted and back uh quickly uh, members of law enforcement agreed to cut the submission time in half uh that was a big lift on their part so we thought that was very uh, time critical to get that passed as soon as possible in the House and get that implemented. Uh, that went through. Um, there's a bill we call the Defense Doctrine that basically um, outlines that if you're a if you're a victim of um, violent 
sexual assault, you have every right to use deadly force to protect yourself or protect a child or a third party. Uh, unfortunately, in TCA, we did not do a good job in, in defining um, what serious bodily harm was. So we went up, went, went into TCA and cleaned that up and uh, made it where people could actually defend themselves uh, to the fullest measure possible. Uh, and then we had an, another bill uh, related to, to um, threats against employees of schools. We've, we've changed, technology has changed so much that a lot of these threats are now done online through text messages. We needed, we went into TCA, cleaned up the language to include online threats and text messages. And, um, you know, that, that was, we felt it was time urgent as well. But very confident that, that when we come back into session that uh, these will be taken up again. I think uh, the fact that it was, they were uni unanimously passed on the House floor will be a, a good uh, indication to the Senate that they are good in good form and it, it'll help it'll help when we return just to, to be sure that they uh, move swiftly and we get these uh, laws passed and implemented. Glenn, uh, how about your results for the year? Uh, anything that uh, you are particularly pleased that, uh, that happened, anything that you're uh, concerned about uh, being discussed if in a uh, new session coming back? No, it'll be a new General Assembly. Uh, there'll be uh, all new, uh, newly re-elected House members and half the Senate will be newly re-elected. And uh, I, I think we're geared towards uh, meeting the uh, slowdown in the economy. Hopefully it's picked back up. Um, and so uh, I don't see anything on the horizon that's troubling, just a lot of work. And um, and I know it, it, on the surface, it seemed like the House and the Senate were locking horns, but that's just a common occurrence. It just made the news this time. Usually it, it's just done behind closed doors and, and we work it out. So uh, I do want to want to add one thing uh, and, and uh, kudos to the governor and the House and Senate. There is $200 million in the budget for those businesses that, that didn't get the PPP, Paycheck Protection whatever the other P is, uh, there's now $200 million uh, available to our small business people to help them uh, get through this COVID. So I just want to kind of throw that out there, Dave, just to remind our business community, uh, call one of us if, if, if you think you may qualify. Any, any particular qualifications they need to meet? There is, and I don't know what it is off the top of my head. <laughs> Jack, do you, Sam, Brandon, do you guys know? I think it, 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 it somewhat mirrors the, the pay, Paycheck Protection Program um, at, at, the, at the federal level, but there, there are probably some distinctions there. Again, there, there were some businesses that, that maybe you would have thought would have qualified for that on the federal level, but didn't. And so we wanted to try to fill, fill that in a little bit at, at the state level. Good. Sam, what did you accomplish this year and uh, what... Uh, well, <laughs> the, uh, well uh, the 211th General Assembly overall, the first part was very successful, I think, before all this uh, turmoil hit. Uh, last, the first part of the session passed 10 bills, everything from cockfighting to Katie Beckett. And, uh, but this time, uh, with the challenges we faced, uh, the number of bills we passed was definitely reduced. Um, uh, we did pass something for the city of Franklin, the private act at the last moment, uh, work, all of us working together on that. But one bill Jack and I worked on was the peer to peer car sharing that really helped, uh, our protect our citizens as they rent cars from private individuals, um, coming in from out of state, uh, it's a new technology and, uh, it, it needed some guardrails on it to also really protect our what that is. Well, peer-to-peer -peer car sharing is uh, an individual can rent their car to an individual visiting, say, Tennessee. And, uh, and what it does, it provides consumer protection, insurance protection, uh, and also it allows the state to uh, participate and draw uh, from the marketplace facilitator tax uh, that we uh, implement, and I think goes in effect in this October. And, uh, and particularly, there was a car sharing app from a company out of California and uh, in, in Metro Airport, for instance, in 2014, they noticed uh, a lot more cars coming in and they found out Uber and Lyft was operating at the airport. 
and they went from 60,000 car rental or rides a year out of the airport to 1.8 million before this hit. Hmm. So with this new technology coming in, people renting cars, we had to provide the airport protection for people doing business at the airport because they have to follow uh, federal guidelines to maintain their grants. And uh, so uh, for instance, Six years ago, there was five dedicated parking spots for Uber and Lyft. Now there's 120. And uh, so what we did, we gave uh, the airport, the five commercial airports that we created, uh, the General Assembly back in 1969, authority to manage their ground transportation program with this new technology. Great. Jack, what, uh, what do you consider the accomplishments of the session? Well, uh, certainly the budget, uh, that's the, the one constitutional uh, requirement we have is to pass a balanced budget. And, and we did, we did that twice, uh, given these crazy circumstances we're, we're in. Um, I know we tend to focus more kind of on the business side of things, but I, I do want to say that we passed the house and the Senate did pass what is probably the most comprehensive and sweeping pro-life legislation that any state has ever taken up. And that was uh, one of Governor Lee's agenda items. And we, we did pass that. And I was proud to be the sponsor of that. Very proud of that legislation. Um, and then again, talking about, uh, you know, kind of the priorities and, and the, the, the Senate and House, as we often do, uh, took different pathways. The Senate, I think, kind of looked at it from top down in terms of priorities and, and what, what needed to get done during our, our brief resumption of, of session. And, uh, and so there was a lot of back and forth between the House and Senate about what bills would be taken up and, and considered. But uh, I think we, we, other than those two at, that, that we didn't get done at the last minute that we may need to address in the special session, uh, I think we, we did a good job of, of, of taking care of those most important items that are important to the state. And, and, and we have a number of good things that are teed up for January, and we will be back there in six short months. And, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll be in a better place than we are right now. Ava could add one more thing. Other than just legislation, working with our citizens, our, for the delegation, our staff did a great job and continue to do a great job helping our uh, constituents with unemployment claims. Uh, from, you know, when they hit over 116,000 back in April and this past week, it was 21,000. We have people from Williamson County needing help with that. and. Uh, our administrative assistants and staff uh, really worked hard to help those and they follow up with our citizens needing help on those unemployment claims and the uh, uh, paycheck protection. So that takes up a lot of time too. It's just not just legislation, but constituent services is a big part of our job. Give our thanks to your, your assistants. They, they make us all uh, look better, I know, and uh, I know Amanda makes you look a lot better, Sam. So uh, well, yeah, that's hard work. And so does my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Pam's right there with her. So uh, Supreme Court uh, kind of threw an unexpected curve to the election uh, this this fall and this summer uh, yesterday by uh, saying that uh, the the state does have to uh, do a vote by mail for pretty much anybody that wants it, as I understand it, uh, how is how are we going to handle that? Are our county election commissions ready for that? And what uh, what's how's that going to change things? Jack, you want to start off? Yeah, so <clears throat> that was a uh, trial court decision uh, by Chancellor in Davidson County. It's a horrible decision. Absolutely, a blatant case of judicial activism. Uh, dictating one judge in Davidson County, uh, dictating how we will conduct our elections in, in Tennessee. I, I, I think the Supreme Court uh, upheld that decision yesterday. Though. No, no, I'm sorry, Dave, they did not. They did not uphold the decision. They agreed to expedite review of the decision, but they did not issue a stay. And I'm disappointed in the Supreme Court that they did not overturn or stay that decision, which means that it, that that trial court decision will be in place for our August primary election, I and for, for some local governments, it will be a uh, you know there might be a general. So um, I spoke with the Secretary of State, the coordinator of elections. Uh, this is going to be an undue, unnecessary burden on our local governments in Tennessee. Under existing law, if you're over sixty, 
You can request an absentee ballot uh, for, for virtually any reason. If you're under 60 and you, you know, have a medical reason why you cannot go to the polls, you can request an absentee ballot. But to say that anyone, uh, if you're you know, 23 years old and perfectly healthy, that you can request an absentee ballot, uh, is it just sets us up for all kinds of potential fraud and abuse in elections. All we have to do is look at other states that do this and the number of uh, ballots that are uh, uh, not even counted or they're mailed out and they're not returned. Uh, just having millions of ballots go out to people's mailboxes and then you, you have no way to enforce voter ID, which we have in Tennessee. So it's a horrible decision made at the trial court level. The Supreme Court has agreed to take it up, avoid the intermediate court of appeals and review that decision. But, but what I wish they had done would have to, to stay that decision so we can, while they're reviewing it, for at least for the August elections, we could conduct our elections as we normally do. Uh, chances are that the Supreme Court will be able to review that and make a decision on the lower court decision by the November election. So that's at least one bit of good news, but this is going to create all kinds of problems for our local uh, election officials uh, for the August primaries, which are just right around the corner. Pardon my misrepresentation on that. No problem. Uh, you always keep me in line and I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Sam, Glenn, Brandon, any of you have any comments on that? I, I do. I couldn't. I couldn't. I agree with the senator. I couldn't be more uh, adverse to that decision uh, than than uh, because here's what's going to happen in North Carolina. Uh, they uh, activists went through and collected ballots from people that had no intention of voting and just basically said, "Give me your ballot," and they basically voted for them. Uh, we know in Camden, New Jersey, that 150 ballots just were never delivered and they were found at the post office. Well, what's, what's, what's that going to entail when they get delivered and, uh, and into the wrong hands? So it's just ripe for uh, corruption. And uh, I am disappointed that uh, Judge Lau, who has a history of trying to be a legislator as, as a sitting judge, a very low first-level court judge, has uh, put the state in a tailspin. Right. One more subject we'll try to cover uh, today, and that's uh, the racial tension uh, the issue of the Nathan Bedford Forest bust and the uh, distraction it continues to uh, to cause. Uh, Sam, you're a military guy, uh, history buff too, I think. And uh, how do you weigh in on all these uh, issues about uh, the Confeder Confederacy and uh, the symbols that it has now been labeled with? Uh, what, what do you think the proper thing to do here is? Well, there is a there's the right way to do it, and then there's the mob way to do it. And and anytime a mob makes a decision, it's generally a bad decision. We see the uh, destruction of monuments uh, when they start tearing down, particularly like President Grant in San Francisco. You, you know, it's probably not about uh, civil rights. It's probably about anarchy, and uh, that's very disturbing to me. Uh, the rule of law is very important. Our state troopers and um, and local police up in Nashville, uh, their com commitment to protecting the Capitol uh, is it's been uh, extraordinary. Um, the, the destruction of the Carmack statue um, was, and he's a very controversial figure, of course. And uh, there has been talk and legislation uh, moving forward to replace uh, for years to replace Carmack with Davy Crockett uh, up there in front of the Capitol, but. Um, as far as the forest bus, that's going to be the Capitol Commission decision. I would, uh, if it was my choice, I would like to see, and I've recommended it. In fact, there's an op-ed out there that uh, a lot of people don't know. There's two Nashvilleans, or excuse me, two Tennesseans that have not been recognized over the years. And Andrews Air Force Base is named after Frank Andrews, a three-star general who grew up within the shadow of the Capitol. Uh, there's no bus of him. And, there, and a lot of people don't know, we have a military annex to the State Museum in the basement of the War Memorial Building. And I would like to see uh, General Force uh, placed, uh, bus placed next to his great grandson, who was a Brigadier General killed, uh, first general killed in the European theater during World War II. And uh, he's flying a B-17 over Nazi Germany. He stayed at the controls until, and his crew bailed out. 
And so those are some things we need to consider as we go forward. Just think about the, the image of reconciliation from Civil War uh, to uh, and the unity that the nation created to win World War II, uh, what his great-grandson, Nathan Bedford Forrest III, represents, and we can put them together in the appropriate military hall. And uh, I hope we head toward that. Um, I've talked to some other uh, legislators about that uh, idea over the years, and uh, it just uh, generate interest in that. But I do, it's very important. We respect the rule of law. We do not allow anarchy in our cities. Uh, it's, it's, it's some places it's gone way too far. And uh, I just, uh, we just need to put a stop to it. Brandon, what's your uh, suggestions here? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've just got a different view on all these busts. I mean, we've spent so much time talking about statues for men that lived 200 years ago. I just, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I understand some of my colleagues are, concerned about what we do with them. Uh, I, I don't share as much concern in the fact that we just built a really nice state museum. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if every bus up here went to the state museum. I don't see, you know, in present form, how we have them presented. They're up on a pedestal with a little sign that's, you know, four inches by six inches. You, you don't learn any history by reading a, a, a plaque to what somebody's name was. So, you know, if we want to honor history and tell a story, I think it should be done in a setting that's appropriate. And that would be the state museum. I don't, I don't see that the Capitol uh, is any place to try to do that. We're trying to make laws and, you know, move our state forward. I, I, I don't have time to argue about the, the men that lived 200 years ago. I just don't see I think it's a complete waste of time and it is controversial. So um, uh, I'm ready to address the situation and move on to the next thing that'll make our state better. Um, so I, I'm ready for it to no longer be a talking point. Glenn, what's your suggestion? Uh, first, I'll say I think Brandon and Sam both have articulated well. Uh, and, and I think we need to realize that these are symbols they will not improve once they're taken down, once they're moved, and maybe they should be, you know, but once they are, that, that's not the problem. The problem is uh, children not getting education, poor performing schools, no fathers in the home. If we want to change a way of life, if we want to make things better for people, that's what we have to improve. M removing a statue or keeping a statue up has no, has no effect. And so we're focused on the wrong thing as we as a society. You know, Dave, you and I probably remember as about 50 years ago, we saw times just like this. We had a virus going through that was very deadly, actually more deadly than it is today. We had uh, unrest in the streets. We were involved in a war in Vietnam and uh, we came through it and, and we unified again and we will do that this time as well. Good point. Good point, Glenn. Jack, uh, your, your last, uh, tell us, your thoughts and, uh, and and if you know them, what the governor's thoughts are on these issues? Well, I, you know, the, the governor's made some public comments uh, uh, recently about, you know, continuing the conversation and having an, an, an op open dialogue about all of these issues. And I think that's very important. And certainly we all encourage that. Um, you know, relative to uh, the, the Capitol Commission and the bus, there is a process there. Um, um, and you know, the Capitol Commission uh, will, will likely take this issue up and, and consider it uh, again. Um, but I want to really uh, echo something that Sam said. We're, we're, we're going to do it through process. We're going we're gonna to be thoughtful. We're going to be methodical ab about this. Uh, the Nathan Bedford Forrest bust was put in the Capitol by supermajority Democrat-controlled uh, General Assembly, a Democratic governor. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest was a Democrat. And so, you know, we will we will contemplate these things in a in a methodical way, and uh, and I suspect that the Capitol Commission will be convened, um, you know, sometime this summer, uh, maybe into the fall, and we'll continue to have those those conversations. And that's the way the the process should work, um, uh, and that's why it was was put into place. And and by the way, it's not just the Capitol Commission. That vote, uh, if there is a vote in the Capitol Commission to to take any action, it then goes to the Tennessee Historical Commission, 
and they have to review it and, and contemplate it. So it's a, it's a thorough process in it and it should be, whether it's putting something in the capital or removing something from the capital. Um, and I will tell you, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, how, how polarized people are about this and how many very strongly worded emails on both sides of the issue I get almost every day. Just uh, so much appreciate you gentlemen for taking the time to uh, kind of give us the backstory on so many of these issues and uh, and what you're seeing from a broad perspective out of your districts. And uh, it's uh, it's just a great opportunity for us to learn more about your jobs and uh, how you're representing us. And we appreciate all you do for us. Uh, Want to thank uh, Creed Henderson and the crew over at WCTV Channel Three for. Uh, making us look so good, Creed. Uh, Tom Lawrence, again, congratulations to you. Thanks for the WAKM AM 950 crew for uh, keeping us on the air. Chamber staff, Matt, Kel, Nancy Griffin, and Jenna, we uh, appreciate the uh, backup to make this happen every month. Uh, our sponsors, AT&T and Vanderbilt, uh, so helpful in uh, uh, underwriting some of the cost of this. And uh, just thank our audience for, for being there every month and uh, look forward to uh, being back next month. Probably we'll have you guys back uh, if there is a special session uh, and look forward to having that uh, conversation again. So thank you. Have a good day and uh, thank you very much. Thank you.